turn to Luke 2. We're going to start a series over the next few weeks culminating with Christmas Eve, and we're going to look at some Christmas lessons and Christmas stories, if you will. And I, I use that word carefully not to, not to diminish the truths. We, we equate stories with just cute little things that maybe aren't true, and, and these stories are absolutely true. And so uh, as we're going to look at... Uh, some of the main characters of, of Christmas and draw out some Christmas stories, if you will. And so, Luke 2, verse 10. And uh, look at what the, Luke writes. He says, we'll start in verse 8. But in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby was as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as has been told them. You know, focusing in on verses 10 and 11 there, behold... I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior. And I want us to focus in on on that aspect today. I want to answer a few questions regarding that aspect today, that, that Jesus came for a specific reason. He came as our Savior. And I want to answer three questions regarding Jesus coming as our Savior. I pray, I pray that it will be encouraging. I pray that it will be edifying. I pray that it will increase our understanding, our appreciation, our adoration as we sang this morning. Not only for Jesus, but, but this, even this time of year as, as things are closing in on us and, 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 and it's no longer cool to say Merry Christmas and, and uh, we're, we're being pushed in on all regards. I want us to understand the beauty and the greatness of, of this season, of what we celebrate this season, but even beyond. I pray that what we'll see today will permeate way beyond just a few weeks out of the year in Christmas. And today I want us to focus on the fact that we've been, we've been given a Savior. And so I want to I answer a few questions about that today. And, and the first question I want to answer, and you'll see it on your handout, is this. What is a Savior? What is a Savior? Scripture is clear that Jesus came as our Savior. What does that mean? 
I think the understanding of that is key to understanding really the, and appreciating Jesus' coming. That this wasn't an accident. This was not just any baby. This was our, our Savior. The, the word there literally means this, and you'll see it in your handouts. A Savior is someone who saves something or someone from danger, from harm, or failure. The, the word points to, some, to saving someone or something who is in need of being saved, someone who cannot save themselves, who is in need of somebody outside of them acting upon them to save them. It it carries with it the idea of a a rescue. It it carries with it the idea of a deliverance. It, It carries with it the idea of someone coming to another person's aid. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ did. He came into this world to rescue he came in this world to save. He came in this world to deliver. Look, look with me at, in Luke 19, verse 10. Listen, listen to what the, the Scriptures say, what Jesus says. He says, For the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He, he's rescuing He's delivering. He's seeking. He's seeking that which is lost. That was the whole mission for him coming is to to reconcile, to to bring back sinners to God. Sinners who had pursued themselves and pursued other gods over the one true God. And Jesus came into it. God sent his son into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. And we see in Luke 2 that He's presented as our Savior. And throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture, we see this designation of Savior being made about not only about God, but about the coming promised one, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Listen to me at some some passages throughout throughout the Bible that that portray not only God as a a saving God, but Jesus Christ as Savior. 1 John 4 says, Verse 14 says this, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. Why did Jesus come? Because He was the Savior. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus. We long to be with our Savior. Acts 13, verse 23. Listen, listen to what it says here. It says, if I can find it. From the descendants of this man, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. The, the God of this Bible, the, the one true God, is a saving God. He is a rescuing God. He is a deliverer of His people. The entire Old Testament and, and New Testament picture this same thing. In, in, Exodus, in Exodus 14, verse 30, his, God's people are in bondage. They're, they're captive to Israel. And in Exodus 14, 30, listen, after He delivered them through the... He parted the Red Sea. He delivered His people through the Red Sea. He closed in the sea on the Egyptians. Listen to what it says in Exodus 14, 30. Thus the Lord saved... Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead 
on the shore. He saved them. He, he rescued them. He, he delivered them. Again, pictures of the Savior. But, but it goes, it go, there's more. In, in Deuteronomy 20, verse 4, listen to what it says. It says, The Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies. Why? To save you. Literally, it's God who fights our battles. Why? To save us, to deliver us. Psalm 25, 5 declares this. You are the God of my salvation, Savior. Psalm 51, David says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation, Savior, of my deliverance. And David, he's known for fighting Goliath, and he stands up to Goliath. But here's the thing, if you don't read 1 Samuel 7 before you read 1 Samuel 17, you won't understand why David could stand up to the Goliath. Was David just going out on his own? Was he, just, was he just bold in and of his own? He was not. Daniel stood in the face of Goliath for one reason, because he knew his God was a delivering God. He knew his God was a saving God. And in 1 Samuel 7, 3, listen to what, listen to what uh, Samuel promised Israel. If Israel would return to the Lord with all your heart, Remove the foreign gods and the asterisk from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve Him alone. Listen, He will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. God had said time and time again, Israel, don't worry about the Philistines. You worship me, you be faithful to me, I've got the Philistines. So when David stands in the face of Goliath, you know what he's standing on? He's not standing on his own courage. He's not standing on his own ability. He's standing on the promise that God said, listen, I've got the Philistines. You go fight. I'll deliver you. It's interesting. Daniel professes that in 1 Samuel 17. David says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hands of the Philistines. David's saying, I've seen time and time again my God save me. My God deliver me. He's been true to His promises. He's a deliverer. That same theme is, is throughout the New Testament as well. In Luke 1, 47, Mary says this, My spirit has rejoiced in the God of my salvation. Zacharias declared the same thing in Luke 1, 68. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people. In verse 69, again, talking about Jesus, He says, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Simeon, in Luke 2, 29, has been waiting, and, and he says this, My eye, looking at Jesus, he says, My eyes have seen your salvation. The point is this, they knew the God of this Bible, they knew that their one true God was a saving, was a delivering, was a rescuing God, was a God who pursued His people, that pursued them. Listen to me, and this, this fact, if, if this was it, this one singular fact distinguishes the God of this Bible from every other false God there is in this world. Listen to me. Others, other religions do not offer God as Savior. You know what you have to do to these other false gods? You have to serve them. 
You know why? Because they're dead. Because they're not alive. Because they're false. And you know what? So you have people serving them. You don't see a picture of their God serving them. They, they have to serve their God. And all throughout this Bible, you know what we see of the one true God? We see a picture of a God out of his nature and character serving his people. Delivering his people. Rescuing his people. False gods, they have to be appeased. They have to be satisfied at the, wor- at the worshiper's cost. But Christianity is this. It's a God satisfying his worshipers at his own cost. Very different. Every other false religion is, is serve, serve, serve. You know what? We see a, certainly we serve God. I'm not diminishing that. But God, guess what? We love because he first loved us. We serve because he first served us. It's a response of gratitude. And the whole Bible pictures a God as of a God whose nature it is to deliver his people. He's a deliverer. Listen to me, and Jesus is a picture of that. You go to Hebrews 1, he literally says that Jesus is the per- per- perfect portrayal of God. He's a picture of God being a, a God of deliverance. John 1 says, no one has seen God except the only begotten God. He has revealed him. Jesus comes as a revelation of the character of God. He's a deliverer. He's a saving God. And Jesus is simply picturing the fact that our God, the one true God, the God of this Bible, is a rescuer. He is a deliverer. And you know what he did? In a, in a display of his character, he sent a savior in the form of his own son. To be the Savior of the world, to whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord could be saved. When we see that He sent a Savior, it's not only a revelation of who God is, it's a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. He's the Savior. He's not a Savior, He's the Savior. They were in need. God sent a Savior, but, but... so that, that answers the question of what is a Savior. It's someone who comes to save, to deliver, to rescue. The obvious question from that is why, why did Jesus come? And that's the second question. Why are we in need of a Savior? Why did He come? Why did God send a Savior? The, the very fact that God sent a Savior, a rescuer, somebody to, to seek and to save, implies this, that we were in need of being saved. It implies this, that we were lost. It implies this, that we needed to be rescued. Again, we saw in Luke 19, that he says that he came to seek and save what? That which was lost. Well, how did this happen? How did we get lost? How are we lost? Matthew 9, 12, Jesus says, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. How, how are we sick? I don't feel sick. I don't feel lost. Who who is sick? Are are we sick? How are we sick? You go all the way back to Genesis 3 and it paints a clear picture of where it all begins. Adam and Eve being tempted to eat what God had said don't eat. To serve themselves rather than serving God. To to glorify themselves rather than glorifying God. Eve, Eve is tempted. She eats. Her husband goes right along with it. Adam... 
Listen, despite the fact that God had provided a perfect body, a perfect home, a perfect diet, perfect provision, perfect spouse, perfect jobs, perfect relationships, they sinned. So listen, the, wor- the world telling us, hey, if all these things were perfect, it w- it, we wouldn't sin. Eh. We're sinners in need of rescuing. It's not Karen. Karen's not the problem in our marriage. Chris is the problem in our marriage. But guess what? Chris isn't the problem. It's the problem in our marriage. Karen's the problem in our marriage. It's, it's not my job's fault. It's not my economics' fault. It's not anybody's fault. We're sinners. Listen, they had one rule to follow, and guess what? They failed. One rule. So it ain't the amount of rules. They had one, just one. Wouldn't that be nice as parents? Like, can you just do one? Just follow one. Come on. One rule. Listen, they wanted more than God offered. They weren't satisfied with being like God. They wanted to, I mean, being with God, they wanted to be like God. And they sinned. They sinned. They they wanted to choose for themselves what was right and wrong. Forget what God said is right and wrong. I want to choose for myself. And at the core, listen, sin at its essence is rebellion against God. It's rebellion against God. You and I feel the consequences of it, but at its core, it is rebellion against God. It is living according to our own wisdom rather than God's wisdom. And in Adam and Eve's act of disobedience, sin entered the world. And as a result, death entered the world as a consequence for sin. You can go all the way back to Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, and you see that. If you eat of that fruit, if you eat of that fruit, you will die. And God was true to His word. Because of sin, death has now entered the world. Listen to Romans 5, verses 12. You say, well, that was Adam and Eve. Well, what does that have to do with me? Listen to Romans 5, 12 through 14. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. In Adam, we all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him to his to come. Through Adam and Eve, death and sin entered the whole world. It's passed down to us all. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and, and are fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. All like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah 53, 6 says, all of us. And this sin, this sin separates us from a holy God. It separates us from a holy God. Immediately after Adam and Eve sinned, what do you see? God removing them from the garden. But he kills an animal and he clothes them, a picture, a picture of sacrifice, a picture of the penalty of death, a picture of the the provision that where there is sin in order to to pay the penalty for that sin, death. That's Romans 6.23, and God did that. God provided the sacrifice. Abraham and Isaac, God provided the sacrifice. In Jesus Christ, you know what God is doing? He's providing the sacrifice. And sin separates us. And all of creation, all of God's creation because of sin is separated from God. But, but our problem goes even beyond separation. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Not only are we separated, we're going to die. We're going to die in that situation of separation, in that condition of separation. As a sinner, we die. 
And, and it's a punishment. It's not only a physical death, it's a spiritual death. We're, we're separated. Listen, listen to me at, at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5, to see the, the fullness of, of, of our death. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by, listen to this, were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us together alive with Christ. Here's what, here's what the Scriptures teach us. The sin is more, just, more than just action. It's our nature. It's a heart problem. It, it goes so deeper than just what we do. It's rooted in who we are. We're sinners. We're dead to the core. It, it's a heart issue. Our hearts are rotten. Psalm 51.10, David says, Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. He's getting to the root of the problem. In Jeremiah 17, 8, 9, it says, Our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can understand them? Sin goes to the core. And I sin and you sin because I'm a sinner. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I hope you see the difference. I sin because at my core, I'm a sinner. By nature, I'm a sinner. Captive to sin, captive to death. I'm a prisoner to sin. You see that in Romans. I'm a slave to it. Because of this, we need great rescue. We needed somebody to outside of us to act on our behalf. We were dead in our transgressions, dead to the things of God on our own. That's the people to whom God sent a Savior. Dead. Dead. In need of great rescue. Listen to Romans 8, just a pile it on just to show but the greatness of our of our God and, and what he did I, I, I'm going to destroy the idea that, that, we, that we're good people okay just for the mind listen to this this is this is this is us apart from Christ for the mind set on the flesh is death but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace because the mind set on the flesh listen to this is hostile towards God in our unsaved State, you know what? You're hostile to God. For it does not, listen to this, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. We're not good people. We're hostile. We're enemies to God. Romans 5, 8. For those who are in the flesh, listen to me, verse 8, cannot please God. That's the people God sent His Son into the world to save. You and I. All of creation. People who were deserving of God's wrath. People who could not get to God on their own. People who needed a rescuer to come to them. And the whole Bible, listen to me, the whole Bible is God's is showing God's rescuing efforts to bring that lost creation, His lost people back to Himself. That's the whole Bible. That's the theme of the whole Bible. Everything is pointing to Jesus Christ. In Genesis 3, he says, look, 
I'm going to provide Satan. It's, it's you and me. It's you versus me. I'm, you're going to bruise my son's heel, but he's going to bruise your head. Meaning, you're going to wound him, but he's going to crush you. I'm going to save my people. I'm going to bring them back. And all throughout the Bible, you see this. You see God's rescue plan to bring back, to make a way back to himself for a lost creation. L- listen to me regarding Jesus in Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. Listen about his birth. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Listen, so that he might redeem those who were under the law that he might receive, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Do you see why Jesus came as our Savior? To redeem. That word redeem means to buy back. Literally, God is paying the ransom. Matthew 20, 28, this, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a what? As a ransom. Sin held us captive. And literally, Jesus' death paid the ransom to God that, look, these, they can go to you. They're set free. They can go back to you rightly. You can be just in forgiving sinners. Why? Because Jesus Christ came as our Savior. He paid the penalty for our sins. And God's rescue plan culminated with Jesus Christ. God is the one who's doing the rescuing. He came to us. We didn't come to him. We didn't find him. We didn't discover him. We didn't weigh all the balance. Let me think about, you know what? It seems like God. No, no, no. God did the rescuing. This, God is the, 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 the hero of this story, of my salvation and your salvation. Jesus Christ and God are the heroes. I, I, I thought about this. I, I have some, a friend who has a home up, in, up outside of Asheville. He has a, a mountain home up there and and. and we used to go up there, and, and there would be four or five of us would go once a year and, and meet up there and hang out and mess around and golf and do a bunch of stuff. And he, he lived on a lake, and it was a lake at the top of this mountain. And so there's all these arms, and it's, it's, you get lost quick in there. And we were, we were messing around out there in the middle of the lake, and all of a sudden the boat won't work. It will not turn on. I mean, we're in the middle of this guy, just gargantuan lake. I remember this guy, Gary Franks, was with us. He thinks, well, I'll just get out and I'll start swimming with the boat. I'm like, first of all, the water's freezing. He got out and tried it and went nowhere. And, you know, the sun is going down real quick. And when you're in the mountains, it don't, it don't, sun don't, it don't wait to get dark till it's 530. That sun gets behind them clouds. Here, two things happen. It gets dark and it gets cold. We were up there and, and we start realizing, look, there's nothing we can do. We're in shorts and t-shirts. We've been skiing. There's, no, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And, and off on the horizon, way off, we see this little figure come walking out on a dock. And we start, I mean, screaming like you've never heard grown men scream. Because we realize, look, this is not going to end well. This is not going to end well. If we have to sleep on this boat tonight, it's going to be freezing. We're going to be in bad shape. So we scream and scream. The guy walks away, and we're like, well, that didn't go out, you know. Next thing you know, the guy comes back out. We see him getting a boat, and the boat starts coming to us. It's for, some, for some miracle, he heard us. And I can't explain to you how far away this guy was. 
we're out in the middle of this lake. We're not, we're not going to make it on our own. And the guy comes out, and he says, can I help y'all? Can you help us? Look, hooks, hooks, hooks our boat up to his, our boat, well, my boat, his, this guy's boat, hooks it up, takes us to our house. All night, all that night, all we could talk about was how close that was to, to really, really being bad. You, you think as we drove, you think as we rode in on that boat, you think we talked to that guy and said, you know what, if you hadn't made it, we, if you hadn't hurt us, we'd have been all right. You know, we really weren't in that bad of shape. No, no, it was going to be about 40 degrees on the water on a boat with shorts and T-shirts. It wouldn't have been all right. The, the hero of that story was the guy who came and got us. We weren't bragging on ourselves. We weren't, we weren't minimizing our condition. We were lost. We were stranded. The only way for something to happen was for somebody to come get us. That, that's exactly what the Savior did. That's exactly what God did in sending Jesus Christ. Listen to 1 Timothy 1.15. Paul writes, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul, Paul's not minimizing his condition. Paul recognized that he was utterly unworthy of being saved. He was a blasphemer. He was a murderer. He says, Here, here's the reason Jesus came into this world, to save sinners. Sinners whose sin had separated them from God. That's all of us. To, 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 pay the, to pay the ransom, as I said in Matthew 28, to, to rescue us, to set us free through repentance, of us repenting of our sin, acknowledging we have sin, expressing forgiveness for that sin, purposing turning away from that sin and turning to Christ. And, and ultimately, Jesus coming as our Savior would mean He had to die. Ultimately, His rescue mission would culminate with death. But that's the whole reason he came, and Jesus knew that's why he came. Listen to John 12, verse 27. Jesus is foretelling his death here. He says, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He says, But it was for this very purpose and this hour that I came, to die. Why? Because God said the wages of sin is death. Somebody's got to die. Either you die for your own sins or you find yourself in Jesus Christ who died for your sins. That's the option. By faith in high school, I repented of my sinfulness. By grace, God awakened me to the reality of my sinfulness, that I was separated, all the, the, the conditions that were present because of that. And I repented of my sin and I, by faith, put myself in Jesus Christ. I said, you know what, Jesus? I should have been the one on that cross. It was my sin. And I received his death as being on my behalf. That's Christianity. In Jesus coming as a Savior was sat to satisfy the righteous demands of a holy God. That look, my people have sinned. If I'm going to bring them back and still be, still be holy and righteous and just, somebody's got to die. So you know what, Jesus? You go die for them. And everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ and who follows him... I'll save. 
Why? Because the penalty of death would be paid for my, by my son. Jesus is our Savior. God sent Jesus, you see on our hand out there, as a, on a rescue mission. That little child born in Bethlehem to a virgin named Mary, to, he came to live as we live and to ultimately to die to make the redemption of sinners possible. But then not only that, to transform our lives into something new, to literally, here's the most condescending part, he now lives in me. We'll talk about that in Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. He goes way beyond that after his death. You know what? God lives in us. In us. I hope that we would recognize the seriousness, individually recognize the seriousness of sin and why Jesus came. Listen to me, when we were in that boat up in, outside of Asheville, we were not arguing about how bad a shape we were in. We had no means of saving ourselves. Our only mean was to cry out to this one man way off on the horizon and say, please come save us. I hope you understand, that's what Christianity is. It's, it's looking at the cross and saying, Jesus, I believe that it was my sin that put you there on that cross, and I'm crying out, please save me. My sin deserved death, and yet you paid it for me. Please save me. We were grateful. We could not thank that man enough on the way back in. Ironically, here's the irony. That guy had kids that went to Cambridge Christian School. He was from Tampa. In Asheville, I saved a bunch of boys from Tampa. In Asheville. But all night, we couldn't stop talking about it. Listen, we will never stand in awe of being loved by God. We will never fully appreciate the fact that God rescued us, that He, that he made rescue available, that, that Jesus is the Savior until we deal with the seriousness of our sin. Until we stand with Paul and say, you know what, I'm the chief of sinners. We, we argue about our, our greatness, and we argue, you see it in the disciples. You know, we ought to argue about how bad of sinners we were and how awesome God was in saving us. I don't hear that argument. Flip side, I hear people arguing about how good they were, and, you know, God was smart to save this person, or I figured you did not. God saved you. He sent His Son to save you, to pay a sin debt that you and I could not pay. Couldn't pay it. Couldn't work it off if we tried. And then, by grace, by grace, may we be awakened to our unworthiness, that, 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 that we would look at the suffering and the, the death of Jesus Christ and say this, 1 John 4.10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the wrath-absorbing propitiation for our sins. Jesus' death, hear me, He's our Savior, because when I place my faith in Him and my trust in Him, His death absorbs all the wrath that was due my sin. All the wrath that a holy God had toward my sin and your sin is absorbed at the cross. You say, uh, Sarah, Brad said it to Sarah the other day. We were sitting there, and something was going on, and, and Brad said, you know, Sarah, you act big and bad when Dad's around. And, and, and they know I'll protect her. They know I'll, I'll whoop Brad and be hard on Brad, and I'm, I'm a terrible parent. I'm very hard on my son, and oftentimes I'm very easy on my daughter. But you know what? Brad was saying, you know what? You know why Sarah could be bold? Because she knew I was around. 
You know why I can boldly approach God? Because of Christ. Because I know all His wrath that was due me towards sin fell on Christ. And now when He looks at me, I'm saved. I'm righteous. Why? Through faith in Christ. And here is the gift of Christmas. The whole point behind Christmas is this. There was a Savior born to you and me to rescue us individually from our sinfulness and its consequences. Listen, but we must repent of our sinfulness and believe upon Jesus Christ. We must believe, we must build our whole lives upon Jesus Christ and the grace of Christ. It's not just getting an insurance policy and then going to live how we want to live. We build our whole lives around Jesus Christ. He saved us. He's our Savior. But, but not only what is a Savior, I hope we answered that question. Not, not only why did we need to be saved, I, I hope you see that, but what are the results of Jesus coming as a Savior? What are the results? L- listen to 1 Timothy 4.10. If you're here in this, in this room and, and you're saved, I- I'm speaking specifically to you. If you're here and you're not saved, if you're not sure, fall upon Jesus Christ. Cry out to Jesus Christ for your salvation. Admit your sinfulness. Look to the cross and say, I deserve to be hanging on that cross and you, you died for me. And be saved. Listen to what, listen what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.10. For it is this that we labor, labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Whether you acknowledge Jesus Christ or not, He's still the only Savior you've got. But He's especially the Savior of those who believe. There is one Savior for all mankind. His name is Jesus. And and that is why He was sent, that we would admit our sinfulness, that we would repent of that sinfulness, and we would believe upon Him for salvation. That That is the only way you will go to heaven, is by believing in Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sins. And our response, as we sang this morning, you know how we adore Him? Our response is to live for Him. But I want to answer, what what does it mean, real quick, that Jesus came as our Savior? I want to show us some some implications. It goes way beyond, because again, it says it saved us, but it says He adopted us as His sons. Our salvation goes way beyond simply having our sins forgiven. You'll see them on your handout. Just a couple of examples. We could go on and on about the fruit of this, about the, what God accomplished in this. But listen, A, Jesus coming as our Savior demonstrates God's love for sinners. Romans 5, 8, But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, He died for us. Galatians 2, 20, He, he says the same thing. He talks about the beauty of it. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The Bible is very clear. No greater love has a man than this than what? He laid down his life for his friends. You know what God did? God laid down his life for his enemies. He went beyond that. Not only a demonstration of His love, but Jesus coming as Savior makes eternal life available to all who believe. We all know John 3.16, but listen to John 3.18. He who believes in Him, that's Jesus, is not judged. But listen, he who does not believe has been judged already, for he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Believe in Jesus Christ? 
No judgment. Why? Because Jesus Christ received your judgment. Refuse to believe upon Jesus Christ, trust in another so-called God, guess what? You've already been judged. Why? Because you're a sinner. Not only, not only, not only that, Jesus coming as Savior removes a believer's deserved condemnation because of sin. Romans 8.1 says, For is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? Before Jesus, without Jesus, you know what you get from God? Condemnation. Why? Because you're a sinner. And he's got to judge sin. Jesus Christ, and believing upon Jesus Christ, he took my condemnation. He took it upon himself. Not only that, Jesus coming as Savior makes reconciliation to God possible. Listen to 1 Peter 3.18. You can have 2 Corinthians 5.18. We, we've heard, we know that one. 2 Peter 3.18. For Christ also died for sins once for all. Listen, the just, that's Jesus, for the unjust, that's you and me, so that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Why did Jesus die? So that He would bring us to God. Reconcile, save, deliver. Jesus coming as Savior offers forgiveness for sin for all who believe. Listen to Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh... He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. All. Forgiveness. Jesus coming as the Savior offers forgiveness, but it, it also absorbs the wrath of God for all who believe. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our, on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. He bore our wrath. Jesus coming as Savior, G there, means that we can be justified by faith and enter into heaven. Galatians 2, 16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no man will be justified. We will not be made right. We cannot work off the sin debt on our own. It's only through Jesus Christ. But not only that, you see H, Jesus coming as Savior, abolishes death and offers eternal life to all who believe. 2 Timothy 1.10 But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You can look at 1 Corinthians 15 as well. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? For those who believe in Jesus Christ, it's gone. Why? Because God took it. Jesus himself took it. Death is abolished. Jesus coming as Savior makes his righteousness available to all who believe. His righteousness available. We saw a few weeks ago, only the righteous get into heaven. Jesus came that we would be made righteous. Listen to this. For whom God, Romans 3.25, for whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith, this was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. We need God's righteousness, not our own. There is none righteous, Romans 3 says. Lastly, Jesus coming as Savior means that, de means that death has been conquered through Jesus' death 
and resurrection. That's 1 Corinthians 15. I just realized I talked about death being conquered twice there, but that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I, I hope we fathom the beauty of God sending us a Savior. And as I thought about that, I, I, I want to close with this. A couple, not, not only as if all that was... As if all that was... I, I want to apply this to our lives real quickly. I, I, I want us to think about this. And, and here's the thought. You'll see it on your handout. The Christmas message and the lesson of the Savior is that whatever is good and precious in your life never has to be lost. You ever get overwhelmed? You ever feel like everything is, is slipping through your hands, like you're, you've lost everything, that, that everything seems to be gone? The beauty of the Savior is this, that one day God is going to restore it. One day He's going to make it right. Romans 8.18 says, I do not consider the present sufferings worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. One day, one day, not, not one believer ever has to fear losing whatever is good in your life. It will, it will be given back. Tenfold, the Bible says. Nothing good in your life ever has to be eternally lost if you're found in Jesus Christ. But, but not only that, the message of the Savior is that grace provides the power to change whatever needs to be changed. To change whatever needs to be changed. We do not have to live in the bondage of sin as believers any longer. Grace enables us not only to be saved, but to be transformed into new creatures. That's Romans 8. That's 1 John 3, 8. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the, by the grace and the mercy of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, not to be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the removing of your mind. That's the Christmas message. Sin no longer has to reign in our mortal bodies. That's Romans 6. That's Romans 8. Without Christ, we were powerless to not sin. We have now have a Savior who provides the power to not sin, to fight sin, to not give in to sin. But it comes through an, an appreciation, a grasp of the gospel. Jesus says, birth and his life and his death promise us that nothing good in our life will be lost forever but nothing bad cannot be changed the things you're struggling with today jesus christ offers the power to change that was the whole point paul made in first timothy 1 15 where he offered himself up this is paul a murderer a blasphemer changed all by the grace of the gospel all that stuff that the locusts had eaten away renewed Restored. The Bible is full of stories that the grace of God, the power to transform. I pray this Christmas in response to being sent a Savior that we would, we would be worshipers as, as we sang this morning, but as the Magi came. It's interesting, in, in, in Matthew 2 it says the Magi came to what? To worship Him. They said, let us go see this Savior that is born to, us this, to, born to us this day. Why? To worship Him. As Peyton's saying, the distance didn't matter. Why? Because the Savior that they had long awaited had been given. Worship. 
Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 10, the only reasonable response to Jesus coming as our Savior is worship. I pray that's why you've came today. I pray that's why you showed up today to worship. I pray tomorrow when you wake up that you'll give everything you face tomorrow in an act of worship. That whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, that you'll do it to worship. When you go to work and you serve your boss, that you'll do it as worship. When you go to school and you, you sit under those teachers, that you'll do it as worship. When you study students, when you study, that you'll do it as an act of worship. Kids, when, you go, when you're playing on the playground, when you're playing sports, whatever, you'll do it as an act of worship. Dads, when you're being a father, an act of worship. Moms, when you're being a mother, an act of worship. That changes everything. An act of worship. There's nothing, there's nothing menial or remedial when you look at the Savior and say, I'm doing this as an act of worship. And I pray if you're not here today that you would receive Jesus Christ, that you'd receive Him as your Savior. And I'll be down front. I'll be happy to help you with that after this service. If you are saved, I, I pray that you would allow the fact that we've been rescued to permeate every area of your life. That that would, that would radically transform every area of your life, that you've been rescued. Rescued not to live a life on your own, or rescued to live a life to the glory of God. To spend the rest of your life glorifying the one who rescued you. And may our Christmas be filled with the hope and the fullness of what the Savior alone brings. I, I want to I do something differently at the end of our services. I, we're moved, Dan and I are talking, moving this way. I want to give you, I, I don't want to end these things and then you just rush off. It's 11.37. We're done earlier than we're ever done. And I'm trying to move, huh? Or 10.37. i got to set back my clock here. All I carry about is those minute hands. i got to get you all out of here. I, I want to start doing this. I'm going to ask you to take three or four minutes to just sit and prayerfully contemplate what you've heard today. I, I want to end our services with you simply... I don't want to just run off to something else. I want us to give us time to meditate on what we hear. Not because what I say is great, only because what, it, what the Bible is great, and the truths of the Bible are great. So I, I, I'm going I'm to sit down, I'm going to ask you in your, where you are with your family individually to just meditate on what you heard today. To think through. Maybe there's areas of your life that you know you're not giving into worship. Maybe, maybe you don't really comprehend what it means. Whatever it is, I'm going to give you a few minutes and then I'm going to come back up and close this in prayer. Amen? So just take the time wherever you are and just meditate on the truths that you've heard today. Meditate on the fact that you've been rescued.